0: Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 13, and we will be reading chapter 13, verse 46 through chapter 14, verse 18. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lysonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, And seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lysonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with their crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that at this time you clear our hearts and you clear our minds. And that this word that was just read, that it will make its way into our hearts. That with the power of your Holy Spirit, a power that only your Spirit can give, those words will come alive for us today. That your gospel truth, your good news... The news of your salvation will be spoken to all of us, that it will be made real to all of us. We ask that all the things that compete for our attention or may distract us, that you just clear it away for us and help us to see what you have to show us, to hear what you have to say to us. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts at this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're at a, a point here in the book of Acts where Paul is now a missionary. And if you remember uh, Paul's backstory, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor. He hated Christians. He uh, persecuted them. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest them, to bind them. He was present for the uh, the, the the killing of Stephen, the first martyr mentioned in the book of Acts. But Paul has had, or Saul had a change. Uh, Christ encountered him on the road to Damascus, and He shone a bright light on him, and, and everything changed from there. And so now Saul of Tarsus is no longer a Paul of, uh, is no longer a persecutor. He is now Paul, a missionary. So we see that he is a changed person. His profession has changed. His ideas have changed. His outlook has changed, and his name has changed. No longer is he Saul. He is now Paul. Uh, Claire and I uh, watch a show called Better Called Saul. It's about a, uh, a, a sketchy lawyer who unwittingly gets involved with the drug cartel in New Mexico. And so when I read this about Paul and his name now being Paul, I think uh, the name of that show is Better Call Saul. We Better Call Saul Paul because that's his new name. Uh, so Better Call Saul Paul, he's a new creation. He's been made new. He was transformed on the road to Damascus. The song Amazing Grace contains in it the line, I once was blind, but now I see. This was a statement that Paul could have made, uh, both in a spiritual sense and in a a physical sense. Because when Paul saw the light on the, the road to Damascus, he was physically blinded. For three days, he couldn't see. It took three days for his vision to come back to him. So he experienced a physical blindness And then his eyesight was restored to him. But it was also a very spiritual thing. He had been looking at things the wrong way. He had a very flawed perspective until he was confronted with Jesus Christ. And then everything was changed. And he could see more clearly than he had ever seen before. I can somewhat relate to that. Uh, Earlier this week, I had LASIK surgery on my eyes. And uh, I will spare you the details of what goes into that. If I had known about it, what all they were doing, I probably wouldn't have signed up for it. But I'll I'll say this. After the procedure, for two or three days, you can't see very well. It's very cloudy, very foggy, and, and, uh, and, and your vision just isn't what it's supposed to be. But then the fogginess, the cloudiness starts to lift. And then once it does, you can see more clearly than you ever had before. This was what Paul experienced both in a physical sense and a spiritual sense. When he saw Jesus Christ, he was blinded temporarily. And then once that blindness started to lift, he began to see things more clearly than he ever had before. No longer was he a persecutor of Christians. He was a Christian himself. He was a believer. But he wasn't just a believer, he wasn't content just to believe, now he was a missionary. Now he wanted to go out and help other people to see what he had seen. And we see that he's passionate about it because it says that as the people misunderstood the message, they didn't understand, uh, they, they started worshipping Paul and Barnabas. Paul was in such anguish that he began tearing his clothes Say no, why don't you understand? This is the message I'm trying to give you. So Paul is a missionary now who is very passionate about helping other people see this new thing that he has seen. But what I want to talk to to you about today is uh, why some people believe and some people don't. Why some people see and some people can't. Now there's a verse in here that I think sometimes gets misunderstood... Um, It's it's in chapter 13. We read it. It's verse 48. It says, uh, But as many as were appointed to eternal life, they believed. As many as were appointed eternal life, they believed. Now, a lot of people have read this and they've understood that to mean God designed certain people to be saved. He decided certain people are going to go to heaven and so out of those people, they believed. Uh, there's a, a, a movement, a belief in, in some uh, sections of Christianity called uh, Calvinism, or five-point Calvinism. Uh, and they believe just that. It's what they call double predestination. That God has basically designed, divided mankind into two groups. This, this group of people... They're going to heaven. I'm going to save them. They have no choice about it. I'm going to save them. And then this group of people, I'm not going to save. They're going to go to hell. They have no choice about it either. I don't believe that. I don't believe that God has designed for some people to be saved and some people to go to hell, and there's nothing they can do about it. That's not what this verse means. This says the ones who were appointed believed. But if we look at the word appointed... What that means is arranged, prepared. So the ones who have been, if you have an appointment for something, it has been prepared, it has been organized, it has been arranged for you to arrive there at a certain time. If someone is appointed to a position, they have been prepared for that position. That position has been prepared for them. It it has been organized in advance. And so when we look at this verse with that in mind, what we see really is it's saying the ones who God had already prepared, the ones that he had arranged this for, they believed. And we know that this is is the understanding of it because all you have to do is look at the verses around it. Paul says is talking to the Jews and he said, you rejected this. You were spoken to first and you rejected it. You judged yourselves unworthy of this eternal life. So what Paul is saying is you had a choice and you turned it down. That wouldn't make any sense if they had no choice in the matter. But Paul was saying you did have a choice and you rejected it. So now we're taking it to the Gentiles. And then Paul says later at the end of the passage, he says God has allowed you to choose what to do with your lives. God has allowed you to govern yourselves all this time, but he has continued to make a witness available to you. So when we look at all this, we understand Two things are happening. God, through his grace, through his provision, is preparing them. But then they still have a choice to make. John Wesley said that he and John Calvin differ uh, only slightly, but it's it's a very important difference. He said that free will has to come into play. That God brings in grace. God's grace allows us to see But then once we see, we have a choice to make. God's sovereignty and our response, they go hand in hand. That is how how we attain salvation. Choice is involved, but it's always preceded by God's grace. Paul could not see things the way God wanted him to see until Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And then once that happened, then Paul had a choice to make. John Wesley called this prevenient grace. It's that preparing, that those things that God does behind the scenes to get us to a place where we will accept the truth once we, we have that choice to make. And that's what's happening in this passage. Paul and Barnabas are talking to several different people. Some of them are receiving it and some of them aren't. Some of them, it had been appointed, and meaning God had already gone before them and been preparing their hearts and, and preparing the circumstances, and some of them hadn't gotten there yet. That doesn't mean they're not going to get there later. It just means the ones who had been prepared and advanced, they were ready to receive it and ready to believe. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, there's a a story uh, of Simeon when Jesus goes to the temple to be dedicated uh, when he's eight days old. And Simeon, it says, was a very devout man, a very righteous man, uh, full of faith. And because of his faith, And God God had revealed to him through the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. And so when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, Simeon held the Christ child and said, My eyes have seen thy salvation. Basically, he was saying, I can die happy now. I have seen the salvation. He had the, the faith to see it is what it was. But the painter Rembrandt, Uh, took some creative liberties with this story. I actually like what he did. And he painted a, a portrait of Simeon holding Jesus. And in his portrait, Simeon was blind. The irony was that a blind man would say, my eyes have seen the salvation. The reason why that's ironic is because we don't need eyes to see. Many of us have perfect vision and still can't see the truth that is all around us. And then some of us can't see at all. And yet, God can reveal miraculous things, wonderful things to our hearts in His own way and in His own time. Paul and Barnabas had both had the truth revealed to them in such a way that they wanted to go and reveal that truth to others and they had a deep desire to go preach and when people were were not responding to it or misunderstanding it or misinterpreting it it says they were in anguish but they kept preaching anyway now this was early in Paul's ministry later on in the book of 1 Corinthians he would write a letter to the Corinthians talking about his ministry versus the ministry of Apollos because there were some people saying well I follow Paul well no I follow Apollos and Paul said, listen, I, I've come and I've planted a seed. I've given you some good news and it's planted a seed there. And then Apollos came along and he watered that seed. And some of you may have responded to me, some of you may have responded to Apollos, but guess what? All of it is done by God. God grows the heart. God cultivates. It's God's grace that prepares all of that. And so this happens early in in Paul's ministry when these people are not responding and he's tearing his clothes. And I wonder if he ever went back and thought about this and said, you know what, I was still planting a seed. Even if they didn't understand, even if they mistook it, even if they didn't have the eyes to see it right then, I was still planting a seed and God's grace was at work through me and God's grace would come back and work again and maybe water that, and maybe cultivate cultivate that and maybe they will be given the eyes to see God's salvation you see God's grace is at work all around us within us sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't but when it is revealed to us how we respond to it is up to us and it can be life-changing once we see it once we get it there's a lot of stories of this happening, uh, stories that I'm sure you're familiar with. Some of them might even be your own story. But Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist back in the 80s. He was a, I guess you could describe him as a devout atheist. He wasn't just an atheist who said, well, I don't believe in God. Like, he really didn't believe in God, and he didn't like other people believing in God. And his wife became a Christian, and he couldn't stand it. And so he decided he was going to use his abilities to investigate this Jesus stuff, investigate the resurrection, the early church, and he was going to prove to her Christianity was a sham. And he spent months and months doing this, trying to do this, and the more he researched, the more he studied, the more he realized he couldn't pr- prove that Christianity was a sham. And then, not only that, but he started realizing that it might be right and his eyes start god started opening his eyes and opening his heart and then he realized one day that he had a choice to make and so he received Jesus Christ as his savior and he became a pastor and he wound up writing books and he wound up leading thousands of people to Jesus Christ another case of this is C.S. Lewis who I grew up loving because of the Chronicles of Narnia books but he's written so many other good books And he he was an atheist as well. And he was an intellectual. And he had a lot of very smart friends. And he didn't understand how people who were so smart could believe this Jesus stuff. So he would debate them vigorously, vigorously. And he said one day he got on his motorcycle, he was riding, and he was thinking about all the ways he was going to debate his friends on this point that they made about Jesus and that point, what Scripture says here and how that's wrong because of this. And he said he was on his motorcycle thinking about all this, and by the time he got to his destination, by the time he got off his bike, he was a Christian. He doesn't say what it was that clicked, but somewhere along that ride, Christ opened the eyes to his heart. And he was confronted with a choice, and he made the choice to receive it, to believe it. And his choice has Influenced and affected many other people who have come to know Jesus because of his writings. One more story I want to share with you. Maybe one that feels a bit more familiar. It's about a farmer named Frank. Frank was a blue-collar guy, tough, worked on the farm, and uh, and his wife and three sons would go to church every single Sunday. And Frank never would go. He said, you know, that, that stuff, I've, I've never seen evidence of God. All I know is, is what I can see, what I can produce with my own hands. You want to believe in God, you want to go to church, that's fine. But Sunday morning I can be out there doing stuff in the fields. And, uh, and, and that's just a waste of time. I'm not going to, to waste an entire morning going to church and worshiping a God that I don't even know exists. And that I can't even see and that I've never seen. And this went on for years. Frank's wife kept coming to church year after year with their three boys. And their three boys grew up, eventually left the house, moved on. Frank's wife continued to go to church every single morning. Frank continued to not believe. And then one day, Sunday morning, while his wife was at church, he got on his tractor, he was plowing the fields. And as he did, he started thinking about the seasons. And how they've been so consistent over the years. And the seeds, how they've always had the right amount of sunshine, they've always had the right amount of rain. And how even though there there were some tough times, there were some hard years, they've been able to keep the farm. They've been able to, to keep the place all these years. And just like that, a veil was lifted from his eyes. And he realized, God has been at work all around me. God has been right here in plain sight my whole life. And I couldn't see it. And so he rode that tractor and he looked around at the beauty that surrounded him. He looked up at the the sun coming up over the horizon. And he realized that he was seeing things in a way he had never seen before. God had given him the grace to see. And it had taken years. It had taken much preparation. It had taken the voice of his wife and and, and his occupation and all these things for years and years and years to prepare him. But it was the appointed time. Frank saw what was real. And he had a choice to make. And so he gave his heart to Jesus. All those years later. You see, it's God's grace that allows us to see the truth. But once we see, we have a choice to make. And once we make that choice, then it's up to us to go help other people see, to be those seeds to be the watering, to be whatever God needs us to be to help other people realize it everyone in this room at some point has had a seed planted in our hearts many of us have had that seed watered, we've had it cultivated but all of that no matter where we are in our faith journey right now, all of that has been done by God's grace So if we respond to it, we can say that it's because God's prevenient, prevenient preparing grace brought us to the point where we could respond. But we must respond. Is God calling you? Have you answered the call? If not, there's no time better than today. And if you have answered, then just as Saul of Tarsus The evidence of that faith should be a deep desire to see other people answer as well. We as the church should be doing all that is in our power to reveal God's grace and love to others, even if it means simply planting a seed that God can come back and water at a later time. Salvation comes from a human response to God's preparation. Let us respond with wonder Let us respond with joy. And like Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the missionary, let us respond with a renewed sense of identity and purpose. Let us pray. Lord, there are so many things we fail to see, so many things that we miss because we do not have the eyes to see it. But Lord we ask that you grant us the eyes to see. We ask that through your grace, through your power, that you reveal your truth to us, that you bring us to a point where we can respond, where we can dedicate and commit our lives to you. Lord, we ask this not just as a one-time thing, but as a daily thing, that we will constantly be surrendering, surrendering our hearts to you as you reveal your plan and your desires to us Lord we thank you for your grace we thank you for all the preparation for all the organizing for all the appointments that go into getting us where we can respond Lord we thank you for giving us the freedom to respond to receive that love to receive that grace and to let our lives be changed we ask that you continue to change our lives day by day and as you do You also help us change the lives of those around us. That you make us farmers. That you allow us to plant seeds of grace and truth into the hearts of other people. So that you can water and cultivate their hearts. Lord, we ask that your grace reign free in our lives and in the lives of all those around us. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is Amazing Grace. It's in the Cokesbury Hymnal, the Brown one, hymn number 43. If you've made a decision of any type today, I encourage you and invite you to uh, come forward and to to let us know about that, to share that with us. And as always, the altar is always open for anyone who wishes to come forward and just, just spend a few moments kneeling in prayer with God. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 43, Amazing Grace.